Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Thanks be to God that we get to gather together in our home in McKinney, Texas. And I want to welcome and thank everybody from coming all over the world, from SoundCloud and on YouTube and everywhere you're coming from, iTunes or podcast or wherever you're coming from. Thank you for joining us as well, too. I want to welcome you here into my home on this fourth day of May 2014. Blessed be to God for you and for your love for the Lord or for your seeking the Lord and tuning in to Gospel Saving Church message. It means a lot to me to be able to preach God's Word. I love God very much and I live my life for Him every day. And my desire is that I grow in Him every day and my desire is also for you that are listening that you would also grow in the knowledge and wisdom of God and His, His Son, Jesus Christ. That's my heart's desires, that the world would even come to know Him. I pray daily for the world. The world will come to know God. So if you guys are ready, I'm going to pray, start off our service, and then I'll read it, and we'll get into the title, and we can hear what the Lord has to say to us today. So let, join me in a word of prayer, if you would, please, for the service for an anointing over the Word of God today and over our hearts and our minds and our ears. Lord, we thank you and we love you and we praise you. And Lord, we come to you in Jesus' name, Lord God, the only name that we can come to you in, Lord, for there is no other name given among men which can save, Lord. There's no other name given among men, Lord God, by which we can come to you, Lord, by the, but by the name of Jesus Christ, Lord. Jesus said it himself, John 14, 6, For I am the way and the truth and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. So, Lord, thank you that uh, we get a chance to come to you, dear God, in, in the name and in the precious sacrifice of Jesus Christ, Lord. Thank you so much. And I, I just pray today for this message, Lord, that you would anoint it. And I pray you'd anoint our hearts and our minds and our eyes and our ears with, the heal, with a healing salve. In our minds, Lord, let us, when we hear and read your word today, Lord, and when we explain it, Lord, when I explain it, Lord, I pray that the, the, your healing spiritually would come over all of us, Lord. I've been praying for that lately for myself, Lord, just a spiritual healing. All the ways in which I'm wounded and scarred, Lord, I'm, I'm, we're so scarred in this world, Lord. We've had so many bad things happen to us, Lord. We've had so many disappointments and so many times we've been in despair, Lord, and it, it just leaves us scarred. But Lord, you are the great healer. Lord, we can trust in you to heal us, Lord, physically and mentally and spiritually, Lord. And we just pray that today that by the reading of your word and by the teaching of your word, Lord God, that we would be healed spiritually completely and that our minds, as your word says, would, would, would be renewed. Lord, please renew our minds today, Lord. Help us to look at the world and others and each other through the eyes of Christ. And help our hearts, Lord, conform our hearts, conform our minds, conform our, just our every desire, Lord God, to be yours. Lord, that you would be glorified through our lives and that people would look at us and say, wow, I know there's a God because of that person. <laughs> Lord, we love you and we praise you. And Lord, do all this through your word, Lord. Your word, your Bible says, your word says it's a living and alive and sharper than any two-edged sword, Lord. And we know that your word changes us inside out. It goes in and it changes us and then the results are seen on the outside if, we're, if we really are seeking you. So Lord, I pray that we would seek you and we'd trust in you and we would follow you, Lord, and, and be changed by you. 
May you help us to understand what you have to say to us today. We love you and praise you. And we ask these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen. Amen. So if you guys want to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 15, 20 through 28, we're going to read it. The title of our service today is Persistence Pays Off. Persistence Pays Off. Matthew 15, 8, 20 through 28. 21 through 28, excuse me. You want to join me? I'm going to read it. Verse 21. Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. And he answered her not a word. And his disciples came to him and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. Pretty desperate. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. I could hear the desperation in her cry. But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And your daughter, and her daughter was healed from that very hour. God's word's powerful, isn't it? God's word's so powerful, isn't it? So up until now, up until this point right here, Christ was in the land of Gennesaret. If you remember our last section here, it starts back, we're going to actually cover it all. They were in the land of Gennesaret. They weren't there for a while. If you remember, Jesus came to a deserted place and he healed a bunch of multitudes. Going back just a little bit into Matthew 14. Sends his disciples away. He sends the people away. He comes walking on the, the Sea of Galilee. He rescues them from the storm. And they reach the other side. They're in Gennesaret. That's where they were right before verse 21 in our scripture today. They were in the land of Gennesaret. They weren't there very long, the scripture implies. But while being there, it was very eventful. For them, it was, There was a lot that happened while they were there. I'm just going to cover it really quick. Matthew 14, 34 through 36, they, they get there. Jesus does some powerful miracles. Remember, all that were coming to him from all the regions around were touching his robe and touching his garment, and they were getting healed. So Christ was healing multitudes of people. Just miracle, 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 miracle. All who touched his garment were made well. Then, of course, as Christ is doing all these miracles and healing all these multitudes and etc., there, however long that took, what happens? Matthew 15, 1 through 2, or 1 and 2, along comes some religious leaders attacking him and his disciples about you know, the way that they ate. Remember that. They were attacking him about some ancient tradition that, you know, the elders had. And so right in the middle of Christ doing this, bam, he gets hit with this attack. Matthew 15, 3 through 11, Jesus makes short work of them. Remember, he blasts them with the truth of Scripture. 
In vain you worship me, teaching his doctrines, the commandments of men. Remember that? He makes short work of them. And what happens? He tells them real sin comes from the inside, not from, not from some religious traditions that you keep, or, you know, you can't be holy by this. And so they leave angry. And then Matthew 15, 12 through 20, his disciples come to him, and he gives them a private lesson on the parable that he just taught that the, that the religious leaders were offended with. He, he gives them this private lesson and explains the parable to them, and we talked about that. And yeah, like I said, he was pretty busy this whole time. He was bam, 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 you know, doing all this stuff and then, you know, getting hit with these attacks and so on and so forth. Well, before our main message, God really laid it on my heart this week. And I don't know who this is for, but I believe it's for somebody that's out there that's listening somewhere in the whole world. But I feel like God wants me to bring up a powerful point here. Notice, and we've talked about this some time back, notice by what we just looked at, all the different details about what we looked at. Notice as Christ was serving God and the disciples were serving God, notice what happened. Serving God, serving God, serving God, doing great works for God, doing great works for God. Wham! Spiritual attack. Come to physical. Pharisees come and attack. Serving God. Bam! Spiritual attack. Serving God. This actually is not only what we just read over there where we recapped it, this is actually an evil trend that we see throughout all of Jesus Christ's ministry. If you look ahead, let's, I want to briefly glance over 15, 21 through 39. 21 through 39, I'm not going to read the scriptures, but in 21 through 39, Christ does a great miracle for this Gentile woman's daughter. He heals her, as we just read. 29 through 31, it talks about he heals great multitudes again. Multitudes come and he heals great multitudes, serving God, serving God. 32 through 39, he feeds these 4,000 people, plus probably women and children. He's feeding people, serving God, and people are getting fed and, 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 and you know, just being just blessed by Christ and all that he's doing and everything. And boom, 16.1. Then the Pharisees and Sadducees came and testing him, asked him, that he would show them a sign from heaven. This is a sad, evil cycle. And what it is, is it's all just the mode of operation for the devil. Any time that somebody's serving God, any time that somebody's serving Christ and doing the work in the ministry and serving Christ, the devil must come, it's just the way he works, and he must attack us, because that's just what he does. You might be noticing in your life right now, in your service unto Christ Jesus, you're doing great things for God. You're teaching the word. You're healing people. You're preaching the gospel. Maybe people are getting saved. Maybe the, the seeds are being sown. Whatever the case may be, you're really serving God in your life. And you know, you know that the word, it goes out. The Bible says God's word doesn't go forth in vain. And then just sporadically in your life, just wham, bam, bam, and you're getting hit with these problems and these spiritual attacks and this, all this doubt all of a sudden. And then you're, you know, things are happening in your life and, and this problem's coming and this problem's coming and this problem's coming and people are coming against you and you're being attacked and you're like, oh my gosh, I, I didn't, oh, what's going on? Why is this happening to me? All this bad stuff. Why is it happening to me? I just love God. I'm just serving God. And all these people are coming against me. Or, you know, these people, you know, I just don't understand. Why aren't things going better? 
Well, I want to just encourage you. Because <clears throat> if it happened to Christ, which it did, I just showed you it did, then it's going to happen to you if you're really following him according to what he said how to follow him. The devil hates it when you or I or anybody in the world come to Christ, number one, and number two, start serving Christ. The Bible says that the devil comes but to kill, steal, and destroy. And not one of those, not one of those things is good. Kill, that's death. God never intended to death, things and people to die. Steal, well, we all know that goes against God's law. Don't steal. And destroy. Well, God came to create. There was a time when the disciples went into a village. They were trying to prepare to get them to Jerusalem so they could have the Passover. And they went into a Samaritan village. And, and uh, the Samaritan innkeeper said, No, you're not going to stay here. And they went back to Jesus. The disciples did. And they were like, Jesus, you want us to rain down fire from heaven upon this place? They rejected you. And Christ said, Man, be quiet. You don't even know what manner of spirit you're in. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy, but to save. Christ came to save, not to destroy. The devil is just the absolute opposite. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And if you're serving God and you're wondering, all these bad things are happening and you're struggling this and you're struggling that, think bad things are happening, bad times are happening, just stay faithful. Just stay faithful to God. Because again... When you're doing and obeying God in Christ Jesus, the devil hates it. And he hates you for doing it. He hates you from growing closer to God. He wants to keep you a million miles away if he can. Keep you distracted. All these things, the devil comes, kill, steal, and destroy. And you can actually even look, like, look at it like this. Because you can. It's really, it's true. Imagine that as you're getting hit with all these things, although they're hard to go through, just think of it like this. The Bible really says this. Consider it a good thing. You say, well, Pastor, how, how can I consider it a good thing? All these bad things are happening. Well, you know it's from the devil if you're really serving God according to his will. And you know this. The devil didn't bother the people that didn't do nothing for God. The devil doesn't care. If you're, if you're a couch potato, so-called Christian, and you're not loving God in any ways in your life, and so on and so forth. I, again, I struggled to even say that you were a Christian, number one. But number two, if you're serving God in Christ and bad things are happening to you, the devil's going to attack you because he hates that you're serving God. He hates that you're serving Christ. So just think on these things because, brethren and sisters, the devil hates it when we serve God and we serve Christ. So bad times are going to happen. Bad things are going to happen. Just life. And then, of course, you have the attacks from the devil. That's what he hates. He hates you. So just be encouraged and know that you're not alone. I go through it all the time. The devil attacks me in ways I can't even explain. And they're just, they're just there. And I'm just, sometimes I feel like I'm going crazy. And sometimes I feel, you know, feel, 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 feel. It's just constant attacks. Just be encouraged and keep serving God. Jesus said in the end... When, when we all, when we stand before him, right before we're ushered, and he's going to say, well done to those that are going to actually go to heaven, those that served God. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. For you were faithful with the little, now I'll make you ruler over much. And so if we're faithful with what God gives us and we serve him in it, no matter what happens, welcome 
Welcome in. Well done, good and faithful servants. So just be encouraged. Just be encouraged. I don't know who that was for, but God just laid it on my heart. I had to talk about where we were, and now we're going to go on and move on to today's main message. Persistence pays off. But you know, even in persistence in living for Christ and doing what God told us to do, that takes persistence too. It takes a conscious, you know, making a conscious decision every day. I'm going to get up and I'm going to go do this. And I'm going to be consistent and persistent in what God told me to do. So even that even applies. And you see that in Christ's life. He never went off the bandwagon. He just stayed consistent and he stayed persistent in everything he did. Praise be to God. So on to today's message. I'm going to read over verse 21 again. We're going to get his focus back on the Gentile Canaanite woman here. It came to Jesus with a desperate need. We're going to read it again and we're going to focus on her now. Verse 21. Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. So Jesus leaves with the disciples, like I already talked about, the land of Gennesaret. In case you didn't know, this was a city in Israel. And he leaves the city in Israel for where? What did, what did we just read? For the cities of Tyre and Sidon. Well, now, in case you didn't know, those were cities outside of Israel. Those were not Israelite cities. These were pagan lands that he went to. This was a region outside, next to, kind of away from Israel. Oh, why did he do that? Why would he go from Israel to a foreign land? Mark in his parallel gospel tells us in chapter 7, verse 24, from there he arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. It's the same, we talked about it last week. Mark has a parallel gospel to this section here. And he, Jesus, entered a house and wanted no one to know it. But he, but he could not be hidden. And then it starts talking about the woman that came. Well, the reason Jesus did this, why did he go from the region away from Israel to the region not away from Israel? Is because he wanted some rest. Jesus, like here Mark says, he wanted no one to know it. He wanted to be away from the multitudes for a while. He wanted to be away from all the work because he just constantly, people came to him and constantly wanted something from him and constantly, you know, badgered him for things. And Jesus said, touch me, can I, can I touch you this? And can you heal this? And I, I got this son and oh Lord, I'm, I'm limp here, I'm lame. And all these things. And Christ wanted to rest a little bit. And, and as, we, as we move on, we can go back sometime here and find that we haven't seen Christ rest in a while. He hasn't had some true just getaway time in a while. He was constantly going and going and going and going and going and going. And of course, his hope was, I'm going to leave Israel where everybody knows me. And I'm going to go to this land where it's foreign. It's not Israel where nobody knows me. And that way, maybe, you know, I can get, oh, get, get some breathing room, you know, get out of the, the, the multitudes of people and just get away. And, get, and notice he went into a house in a foreign land. So it wasn't like he even went into the wilderness and then called people to himself. He went into a house just to be alone. He wanted to rest. Now, was his plan successful? <laughs> was his plan successful? Poor Jesus. Read verse 22. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. Uh, demon so I only have one thing to say, and that's, eh. He was not successful in his attempt to get away and get some rest. His plans were ruined by this desperate 
Gentile Canaanite woman wanting a miracle for her demon-possessed daughter. So what did Jesus do? First part of 23. <clears throat> How did he handle this woman coming to her? Remember, he's wanting rest, but now he's in a foreign land. How does he handle her? First part of 23. But he answered her, not a word. What? Wait a minute. Hold on. Did I read that? Verse 23. But he answered her, not a word. Wow. He answered her nothing. So she comes to him. Look at the way she came to him. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. Calling him by his messianic titles. O Lord, my master. That word Lord there is master. O Lord, son of David. Son of David was a messianic title. O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But yet he said nothing. Pretty unusual for Christ not to say anything when somebody came to him, especially the way this woman just came to him, the way we just talked about. But believe it or not, this was not the only time that we read about that Christ, that people came to Christ and he didn't answer them. We have an account in the Gospel of John, John 12, 20 through 23, where some Greeks came to him. I'm going to read it over so we can see, because this is not very, you know, this seems odd because we haven't had it happen up to this point now, but it wasn't the only time. So John 12, 20 through 23, the Bible records, now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. Then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus. But Jesus answered his disciples, the disciples saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Notice he never talked to these Gentile men. He never talked to these Greek men ever. He just talked to his disciples. And consequently, Excuse me, we never read about these Greek men ever again in Scripture. So obviously, Jesus completely ignored them, and he went on his way, and he did his thing at the festival. So Jesus didn't answer them either. So what's the deal? Why would he not answer this Gentile woman here? And why would he not answer these Greeks in John? And, you know, the Bible records in John that not everything he did was recorded, so I'm, I wouldn't put it past him that the fact that he, there were other times that he did it. But why? Why did he just leave him? Why didn't he say anything? Why didn't he answer her? I mean, she comes to him in a desperate plea, Oh, Lord! Oh, my Master! Oh, Son of David, Messiah! I know you're the Messiah! I know you're the Christ. Please heal my demon-possessed daughter. So why didn't he answer this Gentile woman here or the Greeks from John? He had his reasons. We're going to get to him in a little bit. He had his reason, I should say. We're going to get to it a little bit. But more importantly, for right now, the, the main thrust of the message here is look at what this desperate woman how she responds. Second half of verse 23. So he read already, but he answered not a word. And look at what happens here. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. What did they just say to Jesus? We only record in Scripture 
as far as Jesus goes, her approaching Jesus there just that one time so far. Then he probably didn't look at her, he didn't talk to her, he probably just walked off to the side. But what happened is, is, you know, the disciples are around Jesus. Well, what she was doing was, is by the word of the disciples here, as we can read here, she crying out after them. So she responds, unlike the Greek men in John, by continuing to persist and ask for what the desire that she had to come to Jesus was. She didn't just stop asking after he rejected her and ignored her one time. She kept coming. Lord, Lord, you know, I can imagine the disciples are all around him and they're probably walking. Jesus did that. He walked and he taught and talked and he walked and with his disciples. When as they're walking along, I could see this woman in the background, Lord, please, Lord, please, my daughter. I need some help, Lord. She kept coming because we see it here in the disciples. Please tell her to go away for she, she keeps crying out after us. She's pretty persistent. In fact, I would say that this woman here would be a picture of persistence, if you ask me. She just kept on, kept on, kept on, kept on. Unlike the Gentile Greeks that came to Jesus and John. She was nagging. <laughs> she just kept nagging. She just was like a, like a slow drip from a faucet. Drip, 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 drip. Lord, Lord, please. She just kept going. And, and, and nagging and, and being persistent like that can be terrible. Even Solomon writes about it in Proverbs 21, 9. And this can go for other than a wife. This can go for anybody like we see here with this woman. Solomon writes in Proverbs 21, 9. Better to dwell in a corner of a housetop than a house shared with a contentious woman. A contentious woman, a woman that's against you. If you're against, she's constantly nagging you. She's constantly coming to you. She's constantly bothering you. Better, Solomon says, to, to live in one corner of a rooftop than to have a whole house. Think about that. I would rather have a whole house, but ooh, with a nagging woman, with a nagging or a nagging husband or a, a nagging child or something, just won't leave you alone and you just can't get him to stop. Give me a corner of a rooftop with peace. That's, that's all I want. And this woman continued to persistently nag Jesus, through, and his disciples were hearing it, for this healing. So what does Jesus answer his disciples? Notice in verse 24 here, he doesn't answer the woman still. He answers his disciples and he said, but he answered and said, because remember his disciples had just come to him, so he's answering them. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost house or to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So still, she's probably in a buffer between the it's probably her disciples and Jesus. She's nagging from the back, yelling out. Jesus completely again, a second time, completely ignores her. The disciples come to Jesus. Jesus, get this woman to stop. Send her away. Would you talk to her? And tell her to go away. She's just not listening. She just, she just is nagging. She's here and she's not nagging. And so Jesus ignores what they even say. He says, listen, disciples, I came, I didn't come for her. I came for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Well, what is he saying? Wow. 
Because uh, again, he rejects her a second time, ignores her a second time, and then says, I only came for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. What is he saying? Well, number one, a little bit of a backdrop. This woman, as well as those Greeks from John, they were called Gentiles. And in case you didn't know this, a Gentile is anybody that's not Jewish by descent, by birth. Anybody that's not a Jew by birth is considered a Gentile. This woman... And those Greeks, and many more, were Gentiles. They were of non-Jewish descent. Number two, in the Bible it talks about how God chose, out of all the nations of all the earth, He chose Israel. He chose the Jews to be His special people, the Israelites, the Jewish people. And what that means is the Jews were, are, and always will be God's special chosen people. And being chosen by God means, and God speaks about this in His Word, being chosen means that they got the first opportunity to have the message of salvation from the Messiah, from the Christ, along with what Paul writes in Romans 9, 3-5. Paul says, For I wish that I myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen according to the flesh, who are Israelites or Jews, to whom pertain, now this is what they get for being God's chosen people, to whom pertain the adoption, God adopted them. First, the glory, the covenants, God gave them special covenants, remember the Ten Commandments the Levitical law, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises of whom, he says, are the fathers, and from whom, according to the flesh, came Christ. What's he saying? Christ had to be a Jew. The Christ, the Messiah, had to be Jewish. Couldn't be from Rome, couldn't be from uh, America, couldn't be from Spain. Had to be a Jew. Had to be a Jew by birth. So being Jewish, being an Israelite, meant that you got the promises of God first, the covenants of God first. Christ is saying here, they get me first. I came for the Israelites. Not, basically in a sense, you could add it in by what we just read, not for the Gentiles. That's who Christ came for. So Jesus Christ tells his disciples that he came for the Jews or the lost children. Now it's pretty amazing for the Jews and that's pretty amazing, just off topic just a little bit. That's pretty amazing. That's pretty awesome for the Jews, for the Israel, Israelites. But what about the Gentiles? What, what about me? Because I'm a Gentile. Jesus just said that he only came for Israel. Does that mean that Gentiles didn't or couldn't get the message of salvation from Christ? This woman, I mean, look at the way he treated this woman. Is, the, is that the way he's treating us now? Because he didn't, like he just said, he didn't come for us. So what does that mean for us that are Gentiles, which in case you didn't know, are the majority of the world's people. There are only just a handful of uh, some millions of Jews in the world. And the earth has uh, like over 7 billion people in it. What does that mean for us? For those of us that are Gentiles. Are we just left out in the cold? Did God kick us out like he did this Gentile woman here? Ah, you're done. You can't, you can't receive anything I have. I came for the lost house of Israel. Now, be real easy to think that by if you just took this one verse out. It's real easy to see there's no hope for Gentiles. Real easy to see that. 
But that is not what Christ is saying at all. He said just now, my personal ministry, my personal earth ministry, the one I came to give was, was for and it was aimed at the Jewish people to give them the offer of salvation from God first because they are my chosen people. But he never said at all that the hope of God is salvation was not for Gentiles at all. He never said that not one time. And how do we know this for sure? Because you say, well, Pastor Ed, those are nice words that you say. You know, all these people that aren't Jewish, all <clears throat> they claim, oh, I'm a Christian and I can get saved and all oh, that. That's, that's wonderful. But, you know, how do we know that for sure? You could say that by your mouth, but how do we know that 100%? How do we know that I'm set? Well, we know it because of church history. We know it by the book of Acts. We, we know it by Peter and the disciples when they first got saved and then they were going out for God. We know it because they thought the same thing, actually. They thought that salvation was only for the Jews. They thought the only people that could come to know God was, were Jewish people through Christ. They did, they, they had, absolutely thought Christ came for the Jews, the salvation of the Jews only, and that was all that were going to get saved were Jewish people, and then the rest were, just like in the Old Testament, well, they were Gentiles. As we see later, dogs, as Christ calls Gentiles later. Okay, so, but God had to correct them really quickly through one of the very, one of the very first events that happens in the book of Acts is Peter gets this revelation from God. He's sitting up on this rooftop. And then at the same time, God gives a revelation to a Gentile man named Cornelius. <laughs> at the same time, I guess it was just coincidence, right? No, not quite, not quite. Peter gets his vision and God is, you know, putting this sheet down from heaven and all these unclean animals are on it. And, all, and, and Peter's looking at this vision and this, this sheet keeps dropping up and down from heaven. And Peter says, Lord, I've, I've never eaten anything unclean from birth. I can't eat that. And he, and he kind of got in his heart, wait a minute. Why did God give me that vision? At the same time, these messengers come from this, this man named Cornelius, who was a Gentile. And Cornelius, just a few days before, he had a vision from God. Call for a man named Peter, and he'll, he'll tell you. He'll tell you some things. So Cornelius sends these messengers to Peter's house. They tell, the angel of God tells, these, tells Cornelius right where to go. So the messengers go there, and they knock on the door, and Peter comes down, and he goes with them. Well, as he gets there, they start to have a little discourse. You know, Peter asks him what happens. Cornelius tells him what happens. Peter says, okay, well, outside of my better judgment, because I'll tell you what, the Word says, the Bible says, I'm not supposed to have any association with a Gentile. But God showed me on the roof back there just a little while ago that, that I should call no man or anything really unclean. So that's why I'm here. So, so let, let's start talking. What, what's going on? Well, as Peter's standing there, he found that Cornelius had brought his whole household, like all of his family, into his house to hear what Peter had to say. So as Peter is starting to break it down, he's starting to talk about Christ. He's starting to give the gospel. What happens? Acts 10, 44 through 47. Remember, Cornelius and all those that were gathered in his house were all Gentiles. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who were with Peter, who believed, were astonished. As many as, as it came with Peter. Because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speaking with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should be 
that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we Jews have, you could add. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. And they asked him to stay a few days. So we see there that God had from intentions from, from time past that his salvation, that his Messiah, that his Christ was supposed to be for the world. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Right? We know that. We know that not only by this account in Acts, but we also know that because God gave lots of prophecy in the Old Testament speaking about how his salvation was going to come to the Gentiles also. And there's lots of those, but just for one, just for time's sake, Isaiah 49, 6. Just one, because there's lots. It could be a whole sermon on its own, how God really came for the Gentiles also. But just one, God speaks through Isaiah 49, 6 and says about the Messiah in his day, Indeed, he says, it is, is it a small thing to you or is it a small thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob, which that's what the Messiah did, and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. So that's, that's God's side for his children, his chosen people. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. God speaking of the Messiah to come six to 800 years before Christ ever lived. God had a plan through the Messiah to also bring the Gentiles, not just the Jews. Wow. So whether you look at the Old or the New Testaments or the Tanakh or the New, Christ, the New Testament you know, Christian you know, perspective, we see that God has always had salvation for the Gentiles. And we see that here Jesus was saying that in his personal ministry, in his individual, his earth ministry, when he came for three and a half years and he ministered, that was solely for the Jews and not for the Gentiles. Because God loves everybody. Jew or Greek, and in Christ, the Bible says, we're all one. It doesn't even matter. God doesn't see us as Jew or Gentile anymore. He sees us if we're in Christ, we're all together. Well, that's it. There's, God doesn't see any difference in people. <laughs> Praise God for all mankind, that he loves all mankind. Back to our scripture today. Let's put our focus back on this gal and see, and see what she's been through so far. Let's see, how, let's see what she's been through. And let's, let's look at her persistence. So this woman had just had a direct no reply from Christ. That was the first one. She comes to him, no reply. Plus, she was in the background, remember? That's how I'm imagining it. That's how God showed it to me. She and then her disciples and then Jesus. So Jesus says to his disciples, Hey, I've not come except for the lost you know, sheep or children of Israel. So she hears that. That's rejection number two. So she had pretty much struck out so far with literally 0% success. In fact, so little success that Jesus hadn't actually responded to her or said one word to her, not one word so far in her coming to him. And she's been coming and crying out after them. She's had literally zero success. And like, not, you know, like, have you ever called somebody and then you call them and you call them a few times and they, they refuse to even return your phone call? Like, did, did my phone call even go through? Or did, like, did I have service? Or is the guy dead? Or That's kind of like what this lady's looking at here. Jesus wouldn't even talk to her. Zero percent success. She's literally gone nowhere. So with all this zero success, you would, I would think, maybe you'd think, that that'd been enough. Hey, he won't even look at me. 
He won't even respond to me. He won't even talk to me. He, he's talking to someone else, and then I'm hearing it, but I, he won't even talk to me. Real easy to see how at this point someone, a normal person, even because I know a lot of normal people like this, I give up. I'm, I'm done. I mean, he's, he's rude, in fact. He's, he's, not, he's, he's this loving Messiah, and he can't even answer me? It's rude. I'm, forget it. I'm defeated. I give up. But what did the woman do? Is that what the woman did? Read verse 25. Then she came, and I could imagine here, as you could imagine, remember he and his disciples are there. Then she came, and you could even probably add, fought her way through the disciples, who were standing all around him, and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. Wow. This woman was really persistent, wasn't she? She just wouldn't give up. As I said earlier, we continue to see it. This woman is a picture of persistence. She just keeps coming. Just not even look at me. Keeps coming. No, get, Jesus, tell this woman to go away. Nope, I've been here. Get out of my way. Jesus falls down on her face. Lord, help me. Wow. She's really persistent. So she comes in verse 25 in desperation being persistent, falls down before Christ and worships him saying, Lord, help me. That's got to be the straw that broke Christ's back, right? Now, I mean, after all, Christ, loving Messiah, God in the flesh, gave up his throne in heaven. He is pure love. He is God. He is pure love. Christ, we, we've seen it in his life so far. How many times have I talked about it? How much love is pouring out of Christ. This must have, this must have melted his heart. Oh, I could just see Jesus, right? You know, oh, oh, wow. Oh, she's, she's really sincere. Oh, well, look, she came and she thought she'd be worshiping. Oh, she, she knows that I'm the Messiah. Oh, wow. I love her so much. Is that what happened? Is that what Jesus did? Not quite. Read, read verse 26. But he answered and said, now he finally answers her. It's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to little dogs. What? Again? Again? It falls down, worships them? Lord, help me. Crying out after them. Crying out after Christ to help him. And he turns to her and he says this? In the shocker of the century, Jesus Christ still says No! He still says no. He did it in a very unusual way for us today. But believe it or not, went on a website. They thought this was such a shocking. This is such a shocking message. You know, because of the love of Christ, people get His love in a wrong way. They think it's all about His love, and there's no there's no punishment in there, and there's no wrath in there, and there's no discipline in there. It's all about God's love. But yes, He answers her in a very unusual way for us in our lives and in our world today but in a not-so-unusual way for his day, by calling the people of God the children, which would be the Jews of God, and by calling Gentiles little dogs. Wow. That's, that's shocking. 
I mean, I would have thought after, certainly, you know, after he saw her fall down and he's heard everything she has to say and she's been persistent and she, she keeps coming and she keeps coming and she keeps coming. That I would have, I would have, I would have caved in. You know, I could imagine my little child and coming to me and, you know, Daddy, please, and tears and falling down. And, oh, I can't, I, I got to do it now, but, but not Christ. And I wish I could tell you, I really wish I could tell you that this term, little dog, was just like a pet name, you know, just like a cute little nickname or, you know, just like, a, oh, he was, he did, that really meant something different, you know, he, he didn't really call her a little dog because, you know, the Greek word says this or that, but I can't tell you that because I went to the Greek word and I went to the original and it means little dog. It means literal dog. He calls this woman and all Gentiles dogs. Well, Dogs in Jesus' day were not considered like they are today in America. Dogs back in Christ's day were not pets. They were wild. They were scavengers. They hunted in packs. They were unclean, okay, to the Jewish people because they weren't, they weren't domesticated, okay? They weren't, people hadn't taken them yet and, and brushed them all up. And you're probably thinking of little Fufu or little Fluffy or little Esther or little Ruthie or like this little pretty little dog who obeyed. And these dogs were unkempt. These dogs were wild, almost like wolves would be now in our day. They're wild and they were, they were unclean and they were, you know, just crazy scavengers. They, they weren't pets like they were in our day. That's, and, and that's what Jesus calls this woman. He calls her a little dog. Now, before you get all riled up too much and think, oh, I, Pastor Ed, I think you're wrong. Well, go look it up. I did. I'm very diligent in my studies. I look it up and that's really what he meant to call her. A little dog. A dog. After what this woman just did, he calls her a little dog. Yes, true. Now, was he being evil? Did the woman even think that he was being evil in what he said. Was he being evil-minded toward this woman? Was he like, you dog, get away from her. I could see it now, you know, like the way Hollywood moves it up. If Hollywood were to make a picture out of this, you wretched dog, you know, something evil like that. Was he really being evil? Absolutely not. He was just stating a fact that the Gentile woman uh, knew, which I'll read the next verse and I'll show you how she even knew it. He was just stating a simple fact. This is a terminology, a terminology that they used for the Gentiles, which were non-Jewish, that they were that they were unclean before the Jews. They were unholy. They were unkempt. They you know they were wild. They were not children of God. Therefore, unholy. He bas just basically used the term that said, "No, I came only for God's children, not for the unholy people of the world." sadly, it's still the same way to today. If you really look at it, there are unholy, there are unsaved people today, and there are godly and there are saved people today. If a person doesn't belong to God, think about it. If you're wild, you don't have an owner, right? And that's what Christ was saying to this woman. You're wild, you're unholy, you don't have an owner. You're not owned by God. If you're still not owned by God today, you're still unholy today. And in God's eyes, you're a little dog, you're unholy before God. Not being evil, not being facetious, not being evilly minded. Christ was stating a fact. Unholy woman. I did not come for un unholy people of the world. I came for the lost house of Israel, for the Jewish people. Me, now me, now just me. Because obviously we see here later that he will answer her. 
And he has answered a lot of people since then that aren't Jews. Okay? So, quick note. As I said earlier, did this woman even think that Jesus was being evil toward her? Verse 27. He, so he answers this and he says, little dogs. And then she said, yes, Lord. She acknowledges what he said. Yes, I know, Lord, I'm not Jewish. I know, Lord, I'm unholy. Yet even the little dogs, she even then references herself as a little dog. Yet even the little dogs eat from the master's table. So even she recognized, yes, Lord, I realize I'm not a Jew. I'm unholy. So there was no offense even taken by the woman, nor did Jesus intend to offend this young lady. He was just stating a fact. She doesn't even get offended. So, recapping a little bit again. Verse 26, Jesus Christ rejects this woman's plea for help for her daughter again. This would be the third time now. And in case you're keeping track, that is the third time that Christ rejects this persistent woman's desperate cry for help for her daughter. Verse 23, I'm going to cover them. She comes to him, asks for help. He answers her not a word, ignores her. Verse 24, she's hounding the disciples, and Christ could probably hear it for deliverance. And he answers disciples, again, not her. That his ministry was specifically for the Jews. 26, she comes and worships him again and reverences him as Lord and asks him for help. Help me, Lord. And he finally at least now <clears throat> talks to her instead of not talks to her or talks to his disciples. He finally talks to her and said it's not good for the children's bread. Go to the unsaved Gentile little dog. Well, that's three strikes. And that, you know, we have a saying nowadays, three strikes and you're out. That's it. Three strikes and, you know, that's it. After all, he shot her down now three times. At this point, even an abnormal person, even a faithful person, probably wouldn't, would have absolutely given up, saying, I gave it my best shot. I've, I've done all that I could. He's, he's, he's rejected me three times. I, I, what else can I say? I, I came and I worshipped him. I'm, I'm out. I'm, I'm spent. I, I got nothing left. Well, not this woman, because in her case, persistence pays off with God and Christ. I'm going to read verse 27. She says again to him, yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. She just wasn't going to give up. She came, and the intention of her heart was, I'm just not going to give up. She knew that Christ could heal her daughter. She knew it. She had faith that this man that stood before her was everything that he said he was, who he said he was, and that he could heal her daughter. She knew it without a shadow of a doubt. And she was going to be persistent until... He gave in to her request. <laughs> I say she's got guts because Jesus was God. And, you know, God is wrathful too. Okay? God's not, he is all love, but he's also all just. And if a person just continues to nag, if I were God, because I know me in the flesh, I, you know, when people nag me, I'm like, get away from me. You know, and I'll get mad and I'll get angry and, you know, even turn to, to anger and, and, you know, lashing out. And, but 
Christ here didn't. He led her. And she was not going to give up until she got her request answered. Now, does Christ, does God, because, you know, he was God in the flesh, does he honor this kind of faith and persistence? Or did he get angry with this woman and cast her off? Remember Satan? He kept nagging him too. And what was his last words to Satan? Get out of here. Get, get, get out of here. I don't want to hear you no more. Get, be gone. Away with you, Satan. So did he do that to her? Let's read verse 28, our last verse of the day. Then Jesus answered and said to her, I can hear now the compassion in Christ's voice. O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Christ shows us here that he did and he still does today. Remember, God hasn't changed. Honor persistence from people when they come and request something from him. Is this the only place in Scripture that we find where God allows us to be persistent? Because after all, I am always an advocate against, let's not pick one thing out of the Bible and then just make a whole doctrine out of it. Because, you know, we can just pick one little section and say, oh, that's what he meant, and that's what it is, and, 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 that's, <clears throat> you know, and make a whole church out of it. And people have done that. So is this the only place <clears throat> excuse me, where we find that persistence pays off toward God and Christ? Well, absolutely not. In fact, I could make a whole sermon on the scripture in the Bible that talks about how God actually encourages people to be persistent. Look at the first one. James 5, 16 through 18 gives us two. James says the effective, fervent prayer. Well, when you hear the word fervent, that means not just one time. Oh, oh Lord, uh, blah, blah, blah. Fervent is consistent, persistent. And he says the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And on the topic of praying for others that were sick, others that were not doing well in the church, and etc. And so just so James would make sure that we weren't, you know, get what he said wrong, he actually gives us an Old Testament example of another guy that was persistent. So that we could really know, you know, is persistence a good thing? I mean, we could take what he said wrong, or he could give us an example and show us that, yes, that's exactly what he meant. And he follows up in the next two verses of James 5, 17, 18, and he says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. So what he's saying is he was a sinner, just like you and me. And he prayed earnestly. Now, earnestly, is that once? Earnestly? No. Earnestly, that's... It's coming earnestly. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. And we know when we go back to that section of Scripture, we know that Elijah just didn't pray one time that it would rain again. He actually prayed, and then his servant would come to him, and he says, nothing, nothing, I'll go back again. And he kept praying, and then his servant would come back, no, nothing, I'll go back again. And he kept praying. He prayed earnestly and fervently and persistently that God would make it rain again. And then the rain came. That's an example. The idea goes even deeper. Luke 11. I was supposed to mark this in my Bible, but 
God's going to bless me because it's right here. So praise be to God. Luke 11, verses 1 through 10. God even spurns us on and encourages us to do and pray in this certain way. Look at what he says. And I did this 11, 1 through 10 so we could see the context. So you guys just weren't seeing. I'm just reaching for straws. He starts out with, Now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place when he had ceased that one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples to pray. So, And this is the famous, Our Father, which art in heaven. So he said to them, uh, when you pray, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You know, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, etc., etc., etc. This is the famous prayer. I love this prayer. It's a beautiful prayer. Teach us how to pray. So Christ gives them that example in the Our Father prayer, how to pray. And so they would know how to, okay, is this just, oh, I just pray this one time, Lord? Oh, I just, just one time I got to pray this prayer. He says in verse 5, and he gives us a real life example, a story of how to apply that prayer that Our Father in verse 5. And he says, and he said to them, which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, let me have three loaves of bread. Or have three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me and is on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give it to you. Remember, this story that Christ is giving is on the prayer of our Father. It's not just a random thing Jesus says. It's context. Jesus said, pray this way. <clears throat> and here, look at here. Here's a life example that I'm going to give you how to pray. Do we, Lord, do we just then pray that prayer one, one time, Lord? Do we just ask for your daily provision just, just once? And then that, that's it, God. You got just give, ask one time to give me my daily prayer for one day. And then for 30 years, that's all I got to pray is that one time. And he gives us this, this example. <clears throat> and he says to us in verse 8, and I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, wow, there's that word again, because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. Yes, Christians. Yes, people. Persistence pays off in God's eyes. Absolutely. Absolutely. And as I said earlier, I could go on this. I could make this topic a whole entire Bible study. I could make it a whole entire church service, but I'm not. I could go on and on and on and on about this. But there is a question that begs an answer here. There's our last question of the day, which begs an answer. Why does persistence pay off with God and Christ? Why? Why does God... Even, even hear what Jesus told us. Why does Christ even spur us on to be persistent in our prayers? And this would be praying for something and then maybe not getting it or you got it once and now I need it again. I've got to pray for it again. Why does he want us to be persistent in our prayers? Why would Christ honor this Gentile Canaanite woman's persistence toward him? And why would God want us to be persistent uh, to him in our prayers? Why? When we are persistent in pursuing God for an answer to prayer or something we are in need of, number one, here's a few things to think about. It shows him that we are in need of his help and that we cannot do it on our own. That's number one. 
Number two, are we serious about what we're really coming and asking him about? Or do we just flippantly pray one little quick prayer and that's it? Because if we ask once for something, are we in, let's say we ask once for something that we're in absolute desperate need of, and let's say we don't receive it, then how serious were we really in the first place about needing that desperate thing that we thought we were if we're only going to come to God just one time and ask for prayer? And, oh, I didn't get it that one time. All that can only pray once. How serious were we about needing that thing? So that's the second thing to think about. It shows God, if we continue to pray, if we haven't received something yet, that we're really serious about what we're asking for. That's number two. Number three, like the Gentile woman here, this is the biggest one, of course. By being persistent in prayer, or her asking Christ, you could say, you show God that you believe that he can provide it for you. That he can provide it for you. And what is that? That's called faith. You show God you have faith by even though you haven't received it, you continue to ask him for it. You show him your faith that you're still coming to him as the woman here. This is an example to us all. This woman kept coming. She didn't receive it. She kept coming. She kept having faith. But Lord, yes, I know. But Lord, yes, please. Lord, I worship you. Oh, Lord. And what what does the Bible say about faith? And, And look, we even see persistence in this here. Hebrews 11.6. But without faith, it's impossible to please God or him. For he who comes to God, now listen to this, someone that comes to God must believe, number one, that he is. God exists. And number two, and that he is a rewarder of those that pray once. Oh, sorry, Lord, I got the scripture wrong. And that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Not pray one time. Oh, Lord, oh, uh, would you re- reveal yourself to me today? Oh, okay. Those who, what? Diligently seek him. Diligence is persistence. Diligence is continuing to seek. It's an ongoing thing that never stops. You keep going, you keep going, you keep going, you keep going, just like this woman here did. She kept going. And in her persistence, in her diligence, Christ said, all right, you know what? Because of your faith, I see your faith. You're just not going to give up. I'll do it for you. Diligently seeking, again, is another term for persistence. In closing, you know, as I said earlier, God gives us these examples in his word for a reason. We see these examples that Christ gave here and that God gave here for a reason. They're not just in there flippantly. God does everything for a reason. He has these very reason-minded. He doesn't do things just randomly. He does it because he laid down an example for us. This woman came to Christ and he would not answer her at first. But as she kept coming in faith, to Christ and asking for her petition, he, Christ, God Almighty, eventually granted her her request. In my experiences, God doesn't always answer my prayer request the first time I ask. Not always. He does sometimes. I may ask for something one time and boom, I've, I've got it. I'm like, whoa, that's awesome. 
But more often than not, sadly, you know, and I don't think it's really sadly because I think it, I think it builds my relationship with God. I have to ask more than one time for something. I have to be persistent in my prayer to God that I'm really concerned about this, this thing, my, my situation or, you know, my a health of a loved one or whatever. I have to continue to be persistent in going to God. But as we read today, the times that he doesn't answer my prayer request, many times if I continue to ask and check this out and believe and trust in him and that he will reward me because I keep asking and keep seeking and keep trusting. As I diligently seek him, guess what? He does grant my prayer requests. But it may be a long, arduous process. A long, maybe months, maybe years of a process I've asked for things. But then he answers my prayer. Persistence pays off in God's eyes, as we saw in the example of this woman today. As well as in Luke 11, James 5, and Hebrews 11. Persistence pays off. But just a warning, just, just a small warning before we, you know, I'm going to close in just a few minutes. We got to be careful what we're asking for. We have to look, be looking to the scriptures and finding out what God's will is. 1 John 5, 14 and 15 tells us what we should do. He says, now, this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Notice he said his will. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of. Why? Because we asked according to his will. We see scripturally what are some things that are God's will. God's will, Jesus showed us God's will is to heal people. God loves to heal people. God's will is to get people saved. God's will is that you come to know him more that you come to have a relationship with him. God's will is that he reveal himself to you. And actually, there's, there's more, but just, just, as a, just as a topic there, just as a small topic, we need to be careful when we're asking Christ for something. Like this woman came to him, she knew that this man could heal. She knew that he could heal. And so she came to him under the premise of, I know you can do this. Please. Even though, I'm not a, even though I'm a little dog, please heal my daughter. And her persistence paid off. So are you, are you truly seeking God in Christ and laying your petitions at his feet according to his will on a daily basis? Are you being persistent in knowing God and asking for the things that you know are God's will? Because it's God's desire to give people his will, to, to his will to be done on this earth. In that prayer, our Father, uh, let your will be done on earth as, as it is in heaven. So if you're praying God's will, and you're finding out the things that are God's will, and you're praying those things, and you're just not seeing them, Christian, be faithful and consistently continue and be persistent in prayer and asking God for the petitions of your heart that are lining up with Scripture and that you know are God's will. And he doesn't get mad. Because trust me, I know the devil's beating me up a hundred times or more. I keep asking for something that I know gotten, I know is God's will, and I haven't gotten it yet. Oh, God's getting angry with you, Ed. You're just, you just keep asking. You're just annoying. No, no, no. Not according to what Christ said here. Keep asking. Keep being persistent. Keep seeking God and finding out what is his will and keep 
you know, asking for the things that he said were his will. Seek his face, Christians. Seek his face. And God loves you and he wants to reveal himself to you. And he wants to give those things that are of his will to people, to mankind. This lady is an example. Praise be to God. If you guys are joining me in a word of prayer, praise you, Jesus. Thank you so much, Jesus. Thank you so much, Lord God, for the example that you gave us through this Canaanite, this Gentile, little dog, you know, defiled, unholy, wild woman here, Lord God, that was not a chosen person of God. Yet, Lord, even her persistence, and even though, Lord, she wasn't even yours, Lord, she wasn't even your chosen person, your chosen people, the Jews, even though she was persistent, just like in that example you gave us in Luke, where you actually fulfill with her the thing that you actually spoke to us in Luke 11, where you said even though he didn't want to do it, even though he didn't want to rise up and give that his friend bread that came to him at the door, even though he didn't want to do it, yet for his persistence, he gave in and did it. And Lord, we know that's a picture of you, and we know that's a picture of how you see us sometimes. Even though you don't want to necessarily do it for whatever reason your reason is, because Lord, we don't always understand your ways, or because of our persistence, Lord, if we just absolutely know that it's something that is your will, you will give it to us, Lord. Lord, thank you for the example of this woman. Thank you for the example of your word. Thank you so much, Lord God, that persistence pays off. And in persistence is seeking as well too, Lord. May we all come to know you more. Bless you and praise you and thank you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.